Hi, this is the Denver Diatribe, a weekly discussion of culture, news, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most totally excellent metropolis between Omaha and Salt Lake. This week, November 15th, the Scary Technology Edition. We're going to be talking with video game journalist David Thomas of the University of Colorado at Boulder about the current U.S. Supreme Court case over violent video games, how Vail Resorts plans to track skiers with microchip transmitters, and a few of our favorite smartphone apps for Denver. I'm Jared Jukang Mayer, here with John Dicker. Joel Warner is out gallivanting around Aurora for some reason. Okay, Dave, John, let's first get into the case that was argued before the U.S. Supreme Court on November 3rd, having to do with a California law that would make it illegal to sell certain violent video games to people under the age of 18. Um, Politicians in various states have attempted to pass laws like this off and on since 1999 when the Columbine shooting in in Littleton raised alarm about media and how it affects kids and, and deadly violence. But those laws have always been slapped down as unconstitutional. Uh, But now this California law has been accepted on appeal to America's top court, amazingly. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, let me first play you a little clip of some of the more interesting argument between uh, the attorney representing and defending the California law and Judge Antonin Scalia that I think sums up pretty well both sides of the debate. Uh, I warn you guys, though, since there are no recording devices allowed in federal court, I had to whip up this uh, clip myself uh, just using the transcript and reading it. But I did jazz it up a little bit. So here we go. Law that permits states to restrict minors' ability to purchase deviant, violent video games that the legislature has determined can be harmful to the development. What's a deviant? A deviant, violent video game? As opposed to what? A normal violent video game? Yes, Your Honor. Deviant would be departing from established norms. There are established norms of violence? Well, I think if we look back... Some of Grimm's fairy tales are quite grim, to tell you the truth. Agreed, Your Honor. But the level of violence... Are they okay? Are you going to ban them too? Not at all, Your Honor. What's the difference? I mean, if you are supposing a category of violent materials dangerous to children, then how do you cut it off at video games? What about films? What about comic books? Grimm's fairy tales? Why are video games special? Or does your principle extend to all deviant violent material in whatever form? No, Your Honor. That's why I believe California incorporated the three prongs of the Miller Standard. So it's not just deviant violence. It's not just patently offensive violence. It's violence that meets all three of the terms set forth in... I think that misses the question, which is, why just video games? Why not movies, for example, as well? Sure, Your Honor. The California legislature was presented with substantial evidence that demonstrates that the interactive nature of violent, of violent video games where the minor or young adult is the aggressor, is, is the individual acting out this, this obscene level of violence, if you will. It's especially harmful to minors. Okay, that was my version of the lawyers for California and some of the Supreme Court justices uh, going back and forth on this uh, law banning violent video games. So, John, what do you think? This, to me, sounds a bit like the PMRC of, you know, Tipper Gore and the attempt to, to not ban, but get the stickers on the uh, on albums and on, tapes. On 2Live Crew, yeah. 2Live Crew. Um, and it just feels like, oh, well, this will... 
just this will just help sell a lot of violent video games. Uh, am I wrong? No, well, maybe. I, I think what's really kind of the most fascinating from inside of the industry uh, is a couple things. First of all, I mean, some of these games, especially the examples that the state was using, were, were they're they're awful. You know, I mean, it's, it's difficult to sit there and say they're appropriate for children. I mean, Postal Two is a game for you know at best adults. I mean, it's a very very dark humor, and you know, they, oh, you can you know beat this little girl with a shovel and she screams and. I mean, it's 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 incredibly dark, dark stuff, right? I mean, it's like Quentin Tarantino kind of dark comedy, and maybe it goes too far. So, you know, there's a certain sense. It's like, well, maybe this stuff should be, you know, kept away from kids. And 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 I I think that that's not the the, the ironic part. The ironic part of the whole conversation that they they have to this is is really a discussion of violence, as like what's appropriate violence. And I think that's what the clip really kind of bears. That that Scalia doesn't think he cares that much about the issue. I think they really care about this idea that there's, you know, are we going to regulate violence in the media or not? And at this point in time, we just we don't do it. I mean, you, know, you can show anything on, on TV, basically. And, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, well, why are games? And so this is the thing that I think from the inside of the industry I would say is most interesting is like, are games really that different? Are they really a new emerging form of media that somehow is so much more electric and terrifying that it has to be regulated? And that's ultimately where the issue spins. Yeah, and that, and that's the question that they always bring up, right? Because they look at these games, and are these games fundamentally different than, let's say, a movie or a book, especially when you're looking at these things that are these first-person shooter games or the ones where you are so completely immersed in that character and you are being physically uh, rewarded in the game for doing violent acts. And, and, this, this does, is... that, and does that, what is the effect that that has on adolescents who um, are playing this all Right, the time. and this is also in the context of the military use, investing a, a pretty heavily in, in video games as part of training. And I think there was a quote in one of these pieces that we, we read about uh, a veteran saying, you know, my the video games I've played really helped me in my, you know, in, in an ambush in Iraq uh, where, it, wow, this feels just like the game. And... I mean, I guess that's good from a military standpoint where it, it, it trains, but it, it really creates the sense of, you know, the blurs the line. I'm just saying in theory between the game and reality. Well, so, so that you also have this problem of like, you know, all the, the, the tank guys in, in, in Desert Storm listening to Metallica to get psyched up. I mean, right, right. it's like, of course, I mean, you know, certainly like, you know, uh, you, you watching exciting stuff makes you excited. And, and this is really where the case kind of evolves. And I should probably point out that the, um, the legislator that sort of drove the California legislation, Leland Yee, he's a child psychologist, right? So his interest in this is really from, from his perspective on, on psychological science of, of effects, of media effects, right? Now, now, understand that there's 80 years of media effects research on movies and TV and film, and it's all film and movies because they're two different things. It's all inconclusive, right? It just kind of says, yeah, well, we know that in certain cases, some people can be unduly influenced by this stuff, but not enough to, to, to outright ban it or, or, or uh, uh, you know, unnecessarily regulate it. So the question then's always been, are video games different? Here's the really ultimate weird problem. Most of the research around video games matches the research around other media, which is like, in certain situations, certain kinds of people can be unduly influenced by this, but not in general. And like one of the big statistics that the, the defenders of video game violence, if you could say such a thing, was is that um, you know, violence in youth culture, you know, like youth violence in the United States has been in decline for 20 years, which is almost exactly matching the kind of the rise of video games. So what's with that, you know? Now, this is, a, this is the only problem is the counter-argument isn't true that video games are benign, video games don't affect behavior, video games don't cause violence. 
I mean, those those two sides don't make sense. And so here we can once again enter into the realm of politics where sense and, 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 and measure and, and kind of being in the middle get torn apart by, yes, games are bad, no games are not bad. Well, I mean, the, these laws have always been struck down on First Amendment grounds, right, because uh, they're found to be unconstitutional. But the thing that we're talking about here is not an outright ban on these games, right? We're just talking about a regulation. We're just talking about minus, a yeah. regulation to should we uh, disallow or prohibit the sale of these ultraviolet video games to people under the age of 18. And there are lots of things that we as a society and courts have upheld that we say uh, minors, people under the age of 18, aren't allowed to get their hands well, well, on it. Not pornography, of, pornography I mean, cigarettes, alcohol, and driving, and voting. And I mean, guns, right? And, uh, no, you can own a gun. If yeah, but I, okay, but, but from a First shoot Amendment a issue, right? It's like, from a First Amendment issue, we say pornography, for example. we It's illegal to sell certain explicit magazines or whatever to um, people that, under the age of 18. If we can say that, and that's been upheld by the courts, why why won't these uh, laws prohibiting uh, violent video games be upheld? And that's exactly the state of California's argument. Now, the problem is, I mean, let's just turn it a little bit more into something even more bizarre, which is like, you know, uh, your average 15-year-old kid doesn't need to, to go buy a magazine from uh, kiddies. They just have to have an Internet account uh, or Internet logon. And now they've got everything they need, so we're going to ban the Internet? You know, the, the, the question, I think, that it comes out in the, the, the argument that you read uh, or you reenacted earlier is, is really one of scope. It's just like, do we know what acceptable levels of violence are? Do we know what deviant violence are? Now, I'll just tell you from, uh, from some of the video game analysis, most people think that the Supremes are not going to uphold the law. Are not, excuse me, they're not going to overturn the, the Superior Court decision. So they're not going to say, they're not, this is okay. Yeah. Because they think the law is just too, it's too broad, right? Um, there's some speculation they won't say anything. I mean, it's not their job to, to decide on these. They can just be like, we decide not to say anything, you know? Just leave the lower court decisions to battle things out state by state. Um, there's a possibility to have a really strong decision to just sort of say, there's no evidence that this is, uh, you know, and we're going to uphold. And then it kind of becomes a precedent. So basically, no state would ever do any regulation. But there's one speculation that what they will do is they will say, this law is unconstitutional, so we uphold the lower court's decision because the law is not written precisely enough. And if it were more precise in, in, in area A, B, and C, it may be constitutional, which opens the door to say, states, write your laws. Just write it with these standards in place. So it's really hard to say. You know, I, I don't think anybody really knows why they took the case or what they're going to decide. Odds are... They're not going to regulate these because nobody knows. Nobody knows if video games are harmful in the long term. Nobody knows. And I think also they don't want to set standards around technology-based laws. I mean, you know, video games are a form of entertainment like anything else. The only thing that's different about them is some technology. So we're going to regulate freedom of speech based on technology. I think there's probably actually a real chill, a concern about chilling speech, technologically-based speech. But that's a hypothesis. Well, I think that the the and I and I sort of agree if the, the problem with putting any type of regulation on this it becomes well what types of video games are too violent what is going to be our yardstick for uh, writing regulations to say that you can in the video game hit a, a little girl with a shovel but you can't set a person on fire right like who's yeah. who's going to be the decider what's, on what's that? deviant yeah but i can uh see this from the point of view of this this growing discomfort with video games becoming so much more realistic and immersive and kids spending so much time 
playing these things. And then as we move into the future, it's like, does it ever get to a point where these things become so realistic and so, uh, so aggressive and violent that we, we, we draw a line in there for people under the age of 18? Well, you, you, yeah, you could say the same thing about film or anything else. I mean, you know, f- films have steadily gotten more realistic, you know, and in a certain sense, the violence has gotten more, you know, hyperbolic. I don't know. It's just, it, but we just kind of get used to it. I mean, we look back to rated R movies from the 70s. And they're like PG thirteen, maybe they're PG. They're really benign. I I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I, I, Bonnie and Clyde, I, I still think holds up. Um, I, I probably could rattle off a few more examples. But I bet they would show Bonnie and Clyde uncut on TV today. I mean, it's just the standard sort of shifted. And, and again, I'm not trying to defend violence in video games. I think that the problem is, is we're trying to like observe an entire cultural milieu of 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 you know what's acceptable content. And what's acceptable dialogue around that content? As someone who writes about video games, loves video games, my bigger concern is that somehow or other, any Supreme Court decision that doesn't, you know, reverse the 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 the, the, the and uphold the law, will be read as, uh, 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 you know, okay, see, video games are awesome. Video games are art. We can shoot people in the face. It's okay. It's it's you know, it's all in good fun. And to me, that sort of like says, well, you know, there's still probably a room for taste and there's room for measure. Another big argument the video game industry makes, honestly, is that they have a voluntary rating system. If you ever look at a video game, it's got a rating on the front, so it might say M for mature. And you flip the game over, it actually has content descriptors that say Y, mature, like violence, blood, sex, language, use of drugs. And the problem is the game industry keeps saying we don't have to regulate games. Parents need to decide what's appropriate. So this is a whole other argument, which is sort of say, well, whatever happened to people taking responsibility for their own families? You know, why does a state have to step in and decide that? So, you know, from my perspective, it's like I don't know how to separate the fact that the courts really shouldn't establish a law about video games. It's absurd. But at the same time, video game consumers, the video game industry shouldn't take that as anything goes. Uh, All right. Speaking of sex, actually not speaking of sex at all. Uh, Vail Resort. Vail Resorts, uh, they've invested $75 million dollars. On Epic Mix, which is, and I, I, I don't think it's just all the seventy-five million was spent just on this application, but it's basically RFID chips go into your uh, into your lift ticket, and they can track you in real time on the mountain. Um, and then this is going to link up to social media, and it's this huge uh, application, so that you're on the mountain, you can check and see where your friends are and meet up with them instantly. It'll also be able to tell you how you know how many runs you took all year, how many vertical feet you've ascended. Uh, all those apps will be tracked for you by the big brother that is you know Vail Resorts Epic Mix application. You know there's some privacy concerns. There's a guy in Breckenridge who's selling blockers that will block the thing, but uh, Vail Resorts has also said that you know you can get this punched out if you don't you know if you're offended by it. Um, is this a non-story? Is this a real privacy concern, or is it just kind of cool that they have this technology? Well, I, I don't, I don't think it's just the the app part of it. It's the fact that you have your ski passes and your um, uh, season passes microchipped, right? And with with tracking devices, right? I mean, yeah, that's but, what it is, and you can and you can sort of plug into it through your application, but it, and it's not something you can necessarily opt in or opt out of, right? Like no, you, you can, they said you can opt out of it. 
Yeah, you can. They, they'll punch a hole in the chip. I guess the bigger question is when you get your pass or your ticket, do they say, do you want to opt out? That I don't know. that they, I didn't read that they do that. So I don't know that, that they bring that to light right, right away. I, I mean, I think that what is creepy about it is the fact that, yeah, they're, they're sort of pitching it as you can do all these cool things with it and you can find out you know, where you are in the mountain and stuff like that. But there's lots of third-party apps right now that they're selling for phones and all these types of things that have GPS that do that for your smartphone. You don't have to have it microchipped into your actual um, pass. Uh, lip pass. And what it is is, is really an opportunity in a way for Vail Resorts to break down in the, the minutia of statistics that they can use then to yeah, maybe provide some better services, but also to do things like, um, you know, figure out how often you spend, let's say, in a certain part of the resort town or, you know, how often you spend, uh, you know, buying $8 bowls of chili up at the top of the mountain, things like that. Yeah, no, I, I think the other part of it, the other enhanced experience they're talking about, and well, some of it sounds kind of cool, like being able to know where the shortest lift lines are at any given moment is handy. Um, but you don't have to RFID people to tell that. Right, right. I mean, this is this comes back to something I learned from my children. I figured out that my, my kids figured out anything that I told them was really awesome must have something wrong with it. Because dads <laughs> never try to talk them into something awesome, right? And so here's Vale like going, no, it's really awesome. We're Vale just out of the love of our heart. We're going to spend all this money to make your experience so much better. And everyone's like, cool. But no one's thinking, wait a minute. They're not doing this for free. What are they getting out of it? You know, are they tracking passes for, you know, to make sure you're using it correctly? Do they want to ultimately, like, charge you, you know, per something? I, I mean, like, the idea of, like, observing lift traffic, they do that now. I mean, they got those guys that stand there with little guns and scan tickets. They know how many people are in different parts of the mountain. They don't need to, do, to, to chips to do I, that. I would imagine that, just to your point, that this would also be labor saving. So they wouldn't need as many people scanning scanning. Tickets, presumably, and presumably it's a more efficient form of tracking. And maybe that's true. And, you know, and, and all those Argentinian, you know, ski lift operators are now not going to have summer jobs. So I know that it's messed up. And, you know, granted, I'm guessing the other thing I was just thinking about in, in reading about this is when you're at the resort, I don't unless I have to, I do not want to bust out my phone just because it's cold and you have to take off your gloves and then, you know. That just seems like a pain in the ass. So, so what? So, what's the benefit to you? Is that you actually what? I guess if I'm using it, yeah, I have a much quicker form anywhere on the mountain. I can see, okay, when I get down to this, where should I go with the to the shortest lift line? Uh, where's my friend Joe on the mountain right now? I don't. Well, feel- how are you going to do that? You're going to have to pull your phone out. You're going to look at a TV. I'm saying that the 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 identification of you individually doesn't offer any of those benefits. If you want to find Joe, you pull out your phone. Whether or not he has an RFID chip implanted in his body. <laughs> if you want to know what the longest lift line is, and Vail really wants to provide that as a service, they can put little, you know, LED boards up somewhere, you know. Seven ninety nine ham sandwich, you know, this lift is the shortest line. Right. No, if you're I mean, if your point is that Vail Resorts is not doing this out of the goodness of their hearts, agreed. Agreed. Um Well then why are they doing it? Isn't that isn't that the issue? I mean, what you're giving up privacy. And what do you get? They're, they're selling you, um, you're selling your privacy, basically. Hey, I can check into the China Bowl on Foursquare. Come on. 
I mean, I guess that the 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 line that Vail Resorts is walking right now is sort of the line that lots of other big technology firms are walking. For example, Google, right, mm-hmm. or Facebook. You know, all of the ways that both of those companies have gotten in big trouble by people feeling like they were being um, two faced or not, you know, not allowing you to opt out of certain things and just getting a little bit more creepy. It's been seen that we, as a society, despite our concerns about Big Brother and civil liberties, are more than willing to give up so much of our personal information and our whereabouts and all of this private information if we, mostly if we feel like we're getting something for free out of it, right? It's like Facebook, we get all of this free entertainment, free access, free server space to put up all of our stupid photos, but Facebook is going to get something out of it. And there's there's this give and take, and when Facebook stepped too far, you see this... A bad reaction from paying customers. My problem with this is that when I go up to Vail, right, I'm already paying $90 for a freaking ticket or something like that. And there are already lots of other apps that I can have that I can download maps of the mountain onto my smartphone. I can still use, you know, even uh, other things to determine where I'm at in the mountain. And, and why does Vail need to, like you said, Dave, do this big investment to essentially microchip us with the same technology they use to microchip and tag cattle (laughs) and follow them around the pasture. I think that's the question. And if you want to know how creepy this privacy stuff can get, here's a little Facebook game you can play. Log on to your Facebook page, and now you've got one. And then on the side where the ads are, there's a little link that says, I think it says get an ad or add an ad, and click on it. And just, just by doing that, you can start to target in. So I can type I want people that list Denver as their location. It'll list, like, you know, and it'll start, say, 200,000 people that are Facebook members that list Denver. And then I can put, you know, whatever, Obama, you know, and then it'll go, okay, now it's this number. It's 100,000 people that list Denver and Obama. And then I can put, you, you know. Sing- I do this all the time for my work. You do a single, you do other, you know, combine it with other interests. And you start getting it down to, like, 10 or 20 people. I don't know how granular it'll get, but it's just, like, it's, it's weird. It's, like, you can find people that don't know you. And you can get into their business. And if you can do that through this interface in, in Facebook, then, you know, that's, that's exactly what Vail wants to do. They want to profile you down to figure out, should I send you this card or that card? Should I offer you the, uh, the, you know, the extra steep cheap pass because I can tell you're a cheapskate? Or should I just hold off and sell you the, you know, the, the, the condo stuff? I mean, in the way, it's like you say, I don't care. That's good. They're targeting me as a consumer. That's awesome. But you look at the bigger picture and you're like, kind of, what are you giving up? I mean, what do you, what's, if this is so awesome, what's the downside? Right. I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, at the end of the day, people who go to the mountains want shorter lines. They want good snow and that's it. You know, I don't know how much you need the social media integrated experience into your day on the mountain, no matter whether it's at Vail Resorts or or uh, Loveland or whatever. Well, it's worse than that. They'll sell it to you as a benefit, but what you're really doing is you're giving up the privacy and eventually you don't even get the benefits. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that ultimately, you know, we can sort of be outraged about this right now, but with all the other ways that we're being tracked and sort of giving that information up voluntarily in other parts of our lives, is it really that much of an outrage to be... You know, yeah, I mean, if you're buying a game. lift ticket at Vail Resorts, you've already, you know, you're already <laughs> signing up for. You're, you're already selling out anyway. So, not that I haven't bought many a ticket there. Um, all right, apps. Speaking of apps, uh, we're gonna recommend some of our favorite local apps, um, whether we have them or not. Uh, Jared, let's start with you. 
So I found this one recently that's called the Denver Parcel app. And this is kind of uh, wonky and dorky, but it's what it allows you to do is determine who owns what property in the city of Denver just by looking at your phone. You want to talk about creepy. What it, what it does is it merges Google Maps and the satellite function and the GPS function with city and county of Denver property records. So like right now, I can go onto this app and it's still a little bit, it's still a little bit funky. It's not as uh, clean and streamlined as I like, but I can, you know, click on this, uh, the house that we're in right now and up will come all the information about who owns it, when they bought it, and how much it's worth. And so if you're a real estate agent, if you're just even a person, and it's free too, it's a free app. If you're a real estate agent, if you're just a person that just likes to look at old buildings or be in these places and wondering, hey, I wonder how much this place is, you can just automatically pull it up on your phone. Wow. That's total information awareness. As uh, Was it Dick Cheney who said that? Back, You know what I'm talking about? Total information awareness? No. Anyway, <laughs> sounds like a Dick Cheney line. Uh, Dave, what do you got? Well, I, I, you know, I haven't bought this application, but I'm really tempted to. It's, it's on my Android phone. It's in the Android market. It's called the Denver Manual. It's $1.99, and I think this is worth it because I have to read you the description here. It says, um, Denver in the USA Manual is an application that supplies Denver city map, subway map, tourist guide, hotel information, phone directory, useful travel tips, and food information. I am so excited to find out where the Denver subway is. <laughs> I can't, do they, do I can't they mean wait. subway like the restaurant? No, it's lowercase. Oh, okay. Interesting. Should I buy it? M- maybe another show. <laughs> um, well, if you find that subway, then yeah. <laughs> that is so worth $1.99. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't use any local apps except for... Boo. I know. Except for Yelp. I, I will use Yelp as much as... Uh, you know, Yelp, There was a thing on Westward's blog this week about... Uh, the wrath of Yelp, because I think the food critic there dissed, or no, well, one of the chefs dissed the army of ill-informed re- citizen reviewers, and then the Yelp people went nuts. Um, anyway, that's a whole, we could talk about that on a, a different show, but the there is a cool-looking movie time application that I think I'm going to get. I think it's 99 cents. And then my dream app, and this is p- particular to me, I think I mentioned to you, Jared, um, is uh, called Find My Line. And it would be for skate parks where you could actually oh yeah you could you could download it by the whole layout of the park the whole schematic whether you're goofy footed or regular and your ability level and it would tell you which wall and your to hit. and your skate style right and maybe yeah maybe your style and it would tell you which wall to hit because if you're a skateboarder and you go to a new park it, it it's oftentimes very confusing to figure out the the gist of the park and if I had an app. That could do it for me. It w- it would be awesome. I agree. I agree. It's it's, it's going to be coming soon. They already have apps for um like rock climbers and mountain climbers where you go to these locations and you can find the different routes. Yeah. Up a di- of a certain rock face. So why not in the skateboard bowl? Exactly. Um. All right. That's uh. Let's move on to love and hate. Uh. This is the section where we dispense love and hate depending on what strikes us this week. Uh. Dave, you're our guest. So let's start with you. I know it's a kind of past time, but I love the zombie crawl. I mean, that's just like the most amazing event in Denver. It puts the parade of lights to shame. Did you go to the zombie crawl? Second year in a row. Wow. I love the zombie crawl. What, what do you love about it? Well, I mean, for one thing, it's kind of insane. You know, and for the other thing, it's like it's not one of those like like civic booster organized thing. It's just a bunch of people showing up and think it's a funny idea. <laughs> and they just kind of go nuts. And, you know, there's nothing like sitting in a bar with a bunch of zombies. I, I Come on. Did you? You didn't go. I, I've never been. 
It's it's fabulous. I'm really happy the city didn't shut it down, but it's clear the city has no idea what to do with something that's actually spontaneous civic engagement. So don't they have a zombie crawl video game? Someone should create that. Like a lot smartphone and lots of zombie games. Pretend but. to be a zombie on the zombie crawl rather than having to put on makeup and go out to, out of my house. <laughs> so I'm sorry it's not Halloween anymore, but the zombie crawl's totally Denver, totally awesome. And as far as I know, the largest zombie crawl in the world. Really? They broke the world record. Over 7,000 zombies. Damn. Um, Jared, what do you got? Uh, well, I love the fact that uh, Verizon and I think Sprint 2 are going to be rolling out uh, 4G wireless in uh, Denver if they haven't already. I, I don't know exactly what 4G means and what it will mean for me and my uh, smartphone, but I like it. It's better than 3. <laughs> it's like, it's like a Wi-Fi. It's 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 essentially Wi-Fi for the cell phone. It's usually used to call WiMAX, but it's just really super fast. So it'll be awesome. You will be able to watch movies on your phone, and you'll have to plug your phone in about every ninety minutes. It, it's the future, man. <laughs> the power uh, consumption is terrible on those new devices. So I'm gonna since you guys both loved, I'm gonna hate. But I, was oh, I don't get both. No, you one of the <laughs> tell me that. Um, I'm hating on Larimer Square. Sorry, I just have to. Uh, let's make one block in Denver look glitzy and just put the sign saying Rube tourists go here after you're done with the 16th street mall. Actually, the six, it makes the 16th street mall, mall look like a, a carnival of, of sort of urban, uh, what's the word of new urbanist development meets the, it means it looks like a, a legitimate, um, it's just drives me crazy to see how over, I wish everyone from the it's like the bridge and tunnel crowd but nothing it's only one block and if it would spread out over three or four i think it would make sense and it would feel like i don't know a city and there's just something ridiculous about how contained it is uh, it feels like the truman show anyway i i just i don't like the place and speaking of not liking or liking you can like the denver diatribe on facebook follow us on twitter or go to denverdiatribe.com where we will be posting links to all the crap we talked about today, as well as some of the interesting stuff that David Thomas is up to dealing with the digital world and real-world architecture. That's all for us today. I'm Jared Jakang-Mayer. Joel will be back next week, hopefully. Thanks, guys. We're out. <laughs>